1: hope you enjoy this week's talk from the morning services
0: thank you for joining us today grace
1: and peace to you the reading is taken from first john chapter one verses one to four We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: Well, good morning, everyone. It's lovely to see you here uh, in the building. It's lovely to see you as well, or not so quite directly. Perhaps lovely for you to see me. I'm not quite sure. Anyway, thank you for joining us online as well. Uh, It's wonderful to be meeting together in the Lord's name and meeting with him and hearing from him. A few years back, I was speaking to a friend over supper and we got to talking about community. I was saying to this friend how wonderful the community we have at church is. And uh, what amazing sense of family and sort of sense of acceptance there is, how great it is to be able to seek out older, wiser people who you trust and and so on. And as I was saying this, I could see her nodding enthusiastically, uh, apparently in understanding. And I was beginning to get a bit excited. Perhaps she'd like to come along to church. Uh, Perhaps there might be an opportunity to share my faith. But that's not quite where her mind was going She spoke about a similar appreciation for community, and then she said that she found the same thing at the canoe club. And so it sort of somehow landed there. I have church, she has canoeing, and so we're kind of both catered for. It wasn't my most successful attempt at sharing Christ, needless to say. But the conversation does beg a question, doesn't it? What, if anything, is distinctive about Christian community? I wonder how you would answer that question. What, if anything, is distinctive about Christian community or what the Bible calls fellowship? Because that fellowship, as we've already mentioned, is the focus for our consideration uh, today in this third sermon of our current series, which we're calling Keeping Our Balance. Uh, This is the third of six, looking at essential areas of ministry, six of them, worship, prayer, fellowship, service, discipleship, and outreach. And we're covering them now to help us as we emerge from lockdown with so much potential for change uh, to keep our balance as a church. And I'm praying that this morning we will gain a renewed understanding of, of what fellowship is and an expanded vision of how that's going to play out in our church life, and also how it's going to sustain our whole life as a church and as individuals. First then, what do we mean by fellowship? Well, the Bible's word on its own, koinonia, could be pretty general. It has various overlapping meanings, something held in common, something uh, we, we share in, some kind of participation, and so in a sense... Fellowship could really just refer to anything that we have, we have in common. Generic fellowship could happen anywhere. It could happen down at the bowling green. Uh, presumably out of a common enjoyment of rolling pieces of wood, of immaculately kept grass. I apologize if I have misrepresented the joys of bowling. That's how I understand it. Or the cycling club. Uh, or, or out of a common interest in, in getting hot and bothered going up hills. Or in, in the book club. Or in the stadium. But the question really is, what do we have in common as Christians? The key to understanding what a word means for us as Christians in any case is to see how it's used in the scriptures. And so we're looking at these opening verses of John's first letter that Ninma so kindly read. A little bit of background here. John was one of the 12 apostles who'd accompanied Jesus throughout his ministry. Here he is writing to encourage early Christians after Jesus' death. And in his letter, we see that fellowship is a three-way thing, a three-way bond between us, God, and our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we've got a little uh, image here uh, to represent that. But here comes those verses again from the beginning of 1 John. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched—he's talking about Jesus— This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we've seen it and testified to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. And so having started with Jesus like that, John then says, We proclaim to you what we've seen and heard, so that you may have fellowship with us. Remember, John is speaking to what you might call second generation Christians by now. They're people who haven't and they never could see Jesus actually in the flesh like the apostle had. And so he says, we who saw Jesus, we've told you who can't see him about him. Now you've believed in him like, like we do. And now we have fellowship. We have something, we have Jesus in common. And that is the horizontal dimension of fellowship if you like but then alongside that horizontal dimension of fellowship I guess unlike many other common interests that we share there is also a vertical dimension to this fellowship because John goes on to say and our fellowship is with the father and with his son Jesus Christ so I think what he's saying here is this when you when you hear the gospel when you hear about Jesus and then you respond to him in faith, you become joined to Him as well. So when you become a Christian, you find yourself drawn to God the Father. You know Him as Father, the one who loves you, loves you as His child. On top of that, in fact, God comes to live in you by His Spirit. And so you have that sort of participation in God. So rather than just a two way thing uh, mediated by a common interest, fellowship in the Christian sense is a three way bond between me, you, and God, and sorry, when I say me, I don't mean me, John Adams, the vicar. I mean each of us as an individual and the other people and God. Fellowship is a three-way bond between me, you, and God. Now, let's just step back from that uh, for a moment and work out some of the implications. That means, first of all, I think that proclaiming the gospel is the engine for Christian fellowship. If we, if we wonder, how can we... How can we foster greater fellowship in our church or in our small groups or in our friendship groups or even in our marriages? The answer, first of all, is let them be communities, places where the gospel resounds, places that echo with the name of Jesus Christ. Because the message of the gospel creates the most amazing atmosphere for fellowship. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, without Christ, we would not know our brother nor could we come to him the way is blocked by our own ego i think what he was trying to say is this when we believe in christ we have to relinquish all our pride don't we we confess lord we're sinners We're, we're in need of grace like every single other person and at the same time we recognize that we're loved deeply loved by god like every single other person too And so the gospel creates this extraordinary, unique, level playing field, a level meeting ground for us all. Every relationship we come into, it's just you and me standing in exactly the same place before God. And so the gospel is the engine for fellowship. That's the first implication. Secondly, I think it means that Jesus, and not anything else, is the basis of our Christian fellowship. Jesus, not anything else is the basis for our Christian fellowship. Now, don't hear me wrong here. This is not to say that it is inappropriate for us as Christians to share common interests apart from Christ. Far from it. It is joyous. Uh, In our ministry team, for example, we have an esteemed fellowship of musos. So we have Sheridan, who is able to produce a jingle at will. We have Ben here, who, whenever you leave him for an idle moment, he starts to tap out fiendishly complex three-on-fours with his blind man's stick and his heels. <laughs> we have Stu, who any moment will wheel out casually his seamless transition from natural to head voice, whenever asked. What a gift our musicians! And they obviously have common interests, and they talk to each other about kind of key signatures and I don't know that kind of thing. Now, our common interests are, of course, a blessing. And whether it's gardening or technology or whatever it is, they can be a wonderful starting point for our relationships in church, can't they? But the goal of Christian fellowship is not to look for common interests in church. So that, you know, we can can take everyone in the church, I don't really get on, but fortunately we can put all the people who are interested in tiddlywinks over here, and then we can put all the people who are interested in whatever architecture over there, and all of a sudden we're friends again. No, the real beauty of Christian fellowship is revealed when Christ is the thing that we have in common. In fact, I would say the most beautiful fellowship is revealed when Christ is the only thing we have in common. For me, some of the most powerful spiritual moments have come when I've been halfway around the world and I'm with someone whose language I can scarcely understand, whose skin color, whose background, life circumstances are utterly different from mine. Someone who I've, I've hardly met and yet we're able to pray together in Jesus' name. Because at that moment we realize that our fellowship in him is more powerful than every single other thing that might divide us those are the moments, of course, as well, when we have a glimpse of our future, of our future fellowship, of the moment Jesus will bring every tribe, tongue, and nation as one before the throne in perfect fellowship in eternity. So may that be true for us as well as a church, that we find Jesus to be above all the basis of our Christian fellowship. So that's the second thing, that Jesus is the basis of all our christian fellowship and the third thing is that if fellowship is a three-way thing that means our relationship with god and our relationships with one another cannot be separated or to put another way gospel and community are not supposed to be drawn apart now i think that needs saying because for example we might be quite strong on the me and god bit but not so, not so very strong on the you and me bit. We might be inclined to, to fly solo in our faith, as it were. And, and now that we've all worked out how to visit practically any church on the planet without leaving our sofa on a Sunday morning, it's going to be very tempting. And it did perhaps sound quite attractive to do so. To keep community at a distance. But if we're going to go with a triangle, that would be a rather flappy and unstable triangle, right? We need that bottom line between us. Coming to Christ is supposed to draw us towards each other as well. And there are wonderful joys, and I know so many of us have discovered that in this church, in finding relationship with one another. C.S. Lewis said this, and forgive me for for quoting a little bit uh, longer. He was talking about his friends, uh, Ronald and Charles Williams. Ronald was J.R. Tolkien. And uh, he, he was describing how things had changed after Charles, one of the three, had died. And he said, In each of my friends there is something that only some other friend can fully bring out. Now that Charles is dead... I shall never again see Ronald's reaction to a specifically Charles-like joke. So far from having more of Ronald, having him to myself now that Charles is away, I have less of Ronald. Hence, true friendship is the least jealous of loves. Two friends delight to be joined by a third and three by a fourth. For in this love, to divide is not to take away. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Of how actually our fellowship, as we draw together with one another, we find more in one another. That's why we don't want to miss out on the me and you bit. Then again, of course, we can go the other way. Uh, We we may go really strong on the you and me bit, but light on the me and God bit. I wonder whether you've got friendships like that. Friendships perhaps with Christian people at the workplace or at school, perhaps even at church and I'm talking proper friendships, you know, not, not just acquaintances, relationships where you both know that you're Christians, you've known one another for a good number of years, or at least you've shared lots of time together. But somehow, neither Jesus nor God have ever featured in any exchange between you. Somehow, in that particular relationship, not one of the distinctive features of Christian fellowship, praying for one another, or encouraging one another in faith, or or sharing our spiritual struggles, or keeping each other accountable. None of that has ever felt possible. Now, I think most of us have, have probably got at least into that situation at least once or twice. And if you're anything like me, once things have settled down into a pattern like that, it feels kind of a little bit embarrassing to try to change it. So here's a little, little challenge for you this week. If that rings a bell, if you know actually you've got these, a whole load or even one or two relationships, where fellowship has never kind of really bubbled up to the surface. Why not resolve to make an amnesty this week? And just say to that person, do you know what? It is a bit weird, isn't it? We've known each other for 15 years. We both love the Lord Jesus and his name has never been mentioned in our conversation. Let's just let's not be like that anymore. Let us put Jesus explicitly in the middle of our friendships. Remember, God has... Given you to one another, not just for for your own benefit, but to draw you closer to Him. And in fact, I think there's a sort of virtuous circle there. When we draw closer to God, it draws us closer to each other. And as we draw closer to each other, we discover a new sense of unity and common purpose, and that fixes our eyes on God afresh. And and anyway, whoever wanted to be just a line, we can have a triangle. Triangles are great, aren't they? So, so there we go. Fellowship is a three-way bond. Okay, so that's Christian fellowship defined. But practically, and I guess particularly in church life, how do we work all of that out? How do we foster that kind of fellowship? What does it look like? Well, in the few minutes that remain, I'd just like to talk through some of the ways in which fellowship is worked out in our church. So we're going to hear Ninma read again briefly. She's going to read a brief account of how the early church worked out its fellowship. And that's in Acts 2, verses 42-42. Acts
1: chapter 2 verses 42 to 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common.
0: to encourage you to explore some of the uh, thoughts there in your small groups, perhaps this, this week or with friends. But i just like to bring out one detail here. Did you notice how the early church got together? It says, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So, The early church met together both in their homes and in the temple. They had small settings for fellowship and large ones. Deep fellowship and broad fellowship. And I think we need both of those things. So first of all, I think we need deep fellowship. This is a wonderful and a large church here at Emmanuel. But that means that even for the most outgoing person, with the most amount of spare time, it is unrealistic to expect to find a profound connection with all 500 and whatever other people who attend. Let me say, if you don't have that kind of connection, you shouldn't feel bad about it. But we do, all of us, need some deep fellowship. We need some kind of smaller setting in order to give and receive the benefits of fellowship. Paul says, be devoted to one another. You can't really be devoted to 500 people. But you can probably be devoted to four or five or or six or even seven. Now, where can that happen? Well, it may be a midweek home group. It may be a service team. It may be a prayer triplet. It may be a one-to-one Bible study. In fact, the format doesn't really matter. What matters is that each of us, in some way, is able to enjoy that kind of deep, fellowship now let me ask you where is that place for you perhaps you're not quite sure well perhaps follow some of those formats that i've just suggested perhaps you have got an answer but you're just wondering whether the thing that you're thinking of really does offer that kind of deep fellowship well if that's you here are some questions to ponder Is that place somewhere where I am known? I mean, properly known? Is it somewhere where I am personally valued? Is it somewhere where I'm really able to serve others, including quite practically? Is it somewhere I can share my problems and my needs? Am I able to talk about my spiritual life? Am I able to be challenged? Am I able to be encouraged? If you'd like to explore uh, that a little bit further, where you might find such deep fellowship, don't hesitate to get in touch with me or Ben or Natasha, our discipleship lead, who's also key in overseeing our small groups. So that's deep fellowship. And finally, broad fellowship. We need deep fellowship, but we also have broad fellowship. Fellowship with every believer, past and present, in fact. And there are important things that we do as a church which express that connection. And I guess, particularly as we come out of lockdown, I think it's really good to emphasize these things again. One of those things is the Lord's Supper. We we share the bread and the wine as a sign of our common faith in Jesus. Now, if you've been to the Lord's Supper in recent times, you will recognize that, as I'm afraid to say, because of the current regulations, we're still only able to share communion in one kind bread, but not wine. It feels a bit weird. And, and of course, we're not able to get everyone together in person in the same way as usual. But I do hope that as the restrictions ease, as the vaccinations get completed, as you feel able, please do come and join in. Join us for the Lord's Supper to celebrate that broad fellowship. It's a powerful embodiment of our unity in Christ. That's one sign of broad fellowship. And the second really important sign of fellowship is baptism. In baptism, we declare, not just to God, but publicly to the whole church, that we are trusting in Christ in the same way that all of our other brothers and sisters are, and that we want to be part of this local, broad fellowship. And in fact, not just the local one, but the global one too. If you have yet to be baptized, and yet you're a follower of Christ, it's a great moment as we open up to to get baptized. Do feel free to get in touch with us about that. But as we close, let me encourage all of us towards more fellowship. To seek, first of all, that distinctly Christian fellowship, a three-way bond between God and each other. And then to find both deep and broad fellowship to sustain us in our walk with God. Amen.
1: Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon Podcast.